many, many years ago, actually, when my son was first born, I don't know if he knows the story, I don't know where he is, he's here somewhere. Um, I remember he was just days old and laying with him in our bed, super exhausted, you know, um, he's just a tiny little thing. And I remember laying there going, this is the next 18 years of my life. Like, I actually said that to myself, and now he is 18 and a half, and the Lord has spoken to him and prompted him to go to ministry school. So uh, we raise them to send them. And sometimes, you know, the days are long, but the years really are short, guys. So if you've got young ones at home, make the best of those moments that you have, because they go by so fast. They go by so fast. But you couldn't ask for more, right? We just, our one prayer is that they love Jesus. And they just say yes to him, whatever that looks like. And so um, we're super proud of, of all our college graduates and the different adventures that the Lord has taken them on. So that is where some people are this morning, if you're wondering. Um, I'm not going to talk about Revelation this morning. Um, we'll, I believe Pastor Craig is going to close next week with the final um, portion of that series. It's been a great series. Um, I'm going to be honest, Revelation always kind of freaked me out. I grew up in a Baptist church, and they used to have family movie nights that were like, come watch the Left Behind series as a family. It was terrifying. When you're little, you're like, I don't want to watch people get, you know, I don't know. Where are are they all going? I didn't understand. It was very scary for me. So, um, but I've really appreciated this series that we have been in and just the, um, the really great, like, digging and, like, depth that we have been able to receive out of the series. It's been pretty cool. So, but this morning, I'm going to talk about something way different than Revelation. We're going to talk about the topic of grace this morning. And I feel like it's kind of a little bit of a family, uh, family conversation, although we can't really have conversation because that would be weird, especially with the live stream and everything. But it's going to be a little bit of a family um, topic this morning. And just, just talking about it, how do we do it well? Um, I, I just pray that we really leave here this morning with a little more of God's heart and understanding on this topic this morning, because I think you can have two different ends of the spectrum when it comes to the topic of grace. I think there are those who just choose to live in it and bask in it, and it's all grace, and there's nothing hard about it. And then there are those, you know, that are like, they're on the other side where there's not grace at all. They're just rigid and hard and, um, I think that we just have to meet somewhere in the middle. We have to understand the Father's heart for us and the Father's heart for his people. And so that's what I'm going to do my best to communicate this morning. So grace is one of those topics for my own life that I have moments in time where I feel like I'm actually doing okay. And I feel like I'm, I am living graciously. I'm having grace for the people that are around me and the situations um, that I'm encountering And then how many of you know life has a way of humbling us? Life has a way of showing us something different. And then I have to have these moments pop up in my life, as I'm sure we all do. And I realize that I'm not doing it that well. I'm not doing it as well as I thought I was, as I had hoped to. Um, I'm not really living it out in the way that I've been taught or in the way that I would want to. And I have to learn how to... um, love more and show more grace in my own life with people around me. So we do our best to exhibit grace in our relationships, in our workplaces, here within the body. Sometimes it's hardest within the body. I feel like sometimes the people in the world get the better side of our grace sometimes. We're a little more patient. We're a little more kind, maybe. Um, And if we're honest this morning, I've been a church rat my whole life. I've basically grew up in the pews. And sometimes there there are moments in church life that we do grace really well. And then there are moments where we really suck at it. We just do, we miss it. We miss the target on it. And man, have we just 
blown it, you know? And we can be honest with ourselves about that this morning. We can all stand to be better in a different way, but I believe that it truly is the heart of God that we do it well as believers and as the body. So I'm just going to go through a few things. So back in the Old Testament, testament means covenant, another word for testament. Um, they had what they called a working arrangement. They didn't, ha- they didn't live under the banner of grace yet. It was a working arrangement. And so basically the Israelites were God's chosen people, and they were to remain loyal to God, and in turn, he would bless them. And if they were loyal to him, then they would stay out of trouble, right? But if they didn't, then I can't imagine it, went, it didn't go very well for them, right? Um, and this day was called a sacrificial arrangement. And the system would allow cleansing of, the sins, of your sins temporarily. It wasn't like a once and for all. It wasn't, um, I don't know, I can't imagine only being forgiven momentarily. Like, how do you know when it ran out? What was the, the time span? And maybe there was one, and I, I just don't know what this morning. But what would that even feel like or look like to live in such a way that, oh, man, I screwed up again. I'm going to go, you know, bring my sacrifice, do what I have to do, and this is going to atone for my behavior for X amount of time. Um, that sounds really terrible to me. That sounds really messy to me. Um, and a lot of unknowns that I just am thankful that we don't have to live under at this moment in time. So that was the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31, if you want to turn there this morning, I'm going to read Jeremiah 31, uh, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and it'll be up on the screen as well. But Jeremiah prophesies of one that is coming and one who's going to establish a new covenant with the people of God. And this is what Jeremiah says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judea. So he's not just just the chosen people, it's everybody, because he references Israel and Judea, which shows us that it's for everyone, not just the chosen people. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will already know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So the Lord is saying, I was like a husband to you. I made that commitment. I made that vow to you. You walked away from me. But here's the deal. I'm going to give you something new. I'm going to give you something where I'm just established in who you are. It's not just for the people that uh, are my chosen. It is for the world. I'm going to write it on your hearts. No longer are you going to have to like, like convince people of me. People are just going to, they're just going to know. They're going to have a deeper understanding and a revelation of who I am. So in the Old Testament, we see a God who is far off, one that requires sacrifice. He's simply not attainable. How many of you know we could never attain something so far off and so um, that we just had to work so hard for? It's just not reasonable. But in, in this prophecy of Jeremiah, he becomes a God who's so close. He becomes a God who's so relational and who's so loving to us. You see that switch of the old covenant and the new covenant. And this scripture, as I read it and as I studied, like I have to be honest, it humbled me. It made me emotional because I thought to myself, how could this be that a God that created me, a God who knows me intimately, he knows my thought processes, he knows the, wrongs way, the wrong ways that I think, he knows the way that I react to my family sometimes, 
when things are not going well. He chooses to love me with such grace and mercy. He chooses to give us this covenant of grace that we live under. And he says in Jeremiah, I will remember their sins no more. It's like it never happened, guys. It's like we didn't even have to like think twice about it. He literally wipes the slate clean. And it's an amazing, amazing concept to think about. You know, Jeremiah is telling us it's not going to continue to be like this. You're not always going to have to make sacrifices. I'm going to switch things up for you guys. It's going to be amazing. This new covenant is going to be exactly as I need it to be. And this is the covenant of grace that we currently live under as believers, as people of God. And because we live under this banner, this privilege, it's, it's truly a privilege to live under this banner of grace. There's other religions, there's other things out there, yet we get to live in this, this space with the creator of mankind. And since this is the, the way we live, the banner that we get to live under, shouldn't we Shouldn't this be the banner in which we then as believers uh, do our best to give to the people around us well? We don't keep it for ourselves. Second Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 6 says this, He has qualified us, making us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ, not of the letter of written code, which is the law, but of the Spirit, for the letter of the law kills by revealing sin and demanding obedience, but the Spirit gives life. So the new covenant alone qualifies us through the shed blood of Jesus. We're no longer under the law, which is rules and regulations, sacrifices, bizarre rituals. Read through the Old Testament, you see some really crazy things sometimes. We don't have to do any of those things because those things killed. Calling out people's sin kills them. It kills them. If I went around the room, if I don't know everybody, you know, like on a personal level, but if I went around and just started calling people's stuff out, oh, we, nobody would come back, right? It kills. It kills our spirit. It kills our hope. We don't, we don't get to, um, gosh, thank God we don't do that. Thank God. But it's only the work of the cross that allows us to come into this covenant of grace with the Father. And it's no longer that, Christ that, live, or that I live, it's Christ that lives in me. That's grace, guys. It's nothing I do. It's nothing I strive for. It's nothing I work for. It's everything that he is traded for everything that I am. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor, drawing you to Christ that you've been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not for yourselves. It's not of your own, through your own effort, but it is undeserved, gracious gift of God not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. It's not about anything we do. We're actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life. What a trade-off that is. What a trade-off that is for, we, uh, for us as his children. Romans 6, 14 through 16. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? So whether you're slaves to sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So sin shall not be our master because when we come into covenant with Jesus, when we come into relationship with him, the old man, the old person is done away with and we no longer actually have to sin. 
That's a really strong, bold statement. But when we come into covenant with Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we have a choice. We have the ability not to go there. We actually do. Sometimes that doesn't mean things are not tempting. That does not mean things are not difficult sometimes. People have different struggles. But when the Holy Spirit resides in you, you have a choice. You have the ability to stand firm in the testing of those things. I work at a school, and there's a sign in, I think it's our literature room, that says, when you know better, do better. I feel like that's what the verse in Romans is saying. Hey, when you know better, just do better. You have the ability, you have the spirit within you to do better once you know better. And what you obey, you serve. How many of you believe that? Thousand percent. You, you obey money, you serve money. You know, you, um, you obey your career, you serve your career. What we choose to give our time to, what we choose to give our attention to is ultimately what we will obey and what we will serve. So don't use our grace as an excuse to just keep doing what you want and what you believe is just comfortable and just who you are, because it's not. It's not who you are. Because grace extended from the throne of heaven without transformation is deception. It is true deception. And the person you're deceiving the most is yourself. You can trick everybody around you and deceive people around you, but at the core of, at the end of the day, when you receive that grace, when you receive that mercy and you come into covenant relationship with a, a good God, you only deceive yourself and kid yourself if you choose to use your grace to just keep living the way that you choose to live. So don't obey the things that we want in the flesh and be a slave to the flesh. Instead, because now we know better, we know better through our relationship with Jesus, we need to be a slave to obedience to the Father, which leads to right living and right standing with God. So we make a choice for obedience daily, and a choice for righteousness daily, so we don't abuse our grace. We don't abuse it. Allow grace to empower and redeem you, not to simply be that string that you hang on to that you just kind of pull on in moments when things are hard, allow it to actually empower you. Grace should empower you in, the day, in your daily life. So I don't say all this to be like, oh, well, you know, we have to be perfect. Now that we understand grace, that we know we have the ability to not sin, to not go there, to make, not make those choices. Now you're just supposed to be perfect. Now I'm supposed to be perfect. Nothing that, um, that can go wrong in my life. That I'm never going to make another bad decision in my life. But that's foolishness. Let's be real. That's foolish. We don't want to be foolish this morning. We want to be wise and take in, in uh, the scripture and the word that the Lord has given us. But see, I'm a mom and I have three kids. And if one of my kids is struggling, let's say which kids struggle sometimes, whether it be in school or relationships or whatever, and they come to me, um, and let's say this one is in, in school, the area of school, and they come to me and say, mom, I'm really, really trying. This math course, this math class, the teacher is terrible, and I can't understand, and I don't get concepts, and I'm failing, I'm not doing well, I've tried to go to tutoring, I'm just, I'm really trying, right? If your child, if you're a parent in the room and your child comes to you humbly and saying, I just need extra help, maybe we can look at some outside, um, you know, tutoring, whatever, I don't know, I need something extra, I am not getting this, what kind of a parent would I be or would you be, if you're a parent, to tell them how worthless they were? for failing, how worthless they were for not trying hard enough. And man, you better just get it together. 
because I, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to sit with you. I'm not going to try and get you the outside uh, help that you need. You're just, what is wrong with you? You're just not good enough. What a mess you are. What a disgrace to the family. What kind of parent would I be if that's who I was when my child came to me asking for sincere help? You know, maybe <laughs> I'd be a terrible one. I'd be a terrible one. You'd probably be like, wow. Yeah, no, she, just, she should not be having children. No, but maybe even today you know somebody that's battling addiction. They're really trying. They really are. They're trying to get their head above water. They're trying to get past that thing. You know, they're trying to take some steps forward. They're doing things, but it's so hard. It's so hard. I, I've never struggled with addiction, but I know people that have, and it's heart, heartbreaking to watch. And it's even more heartbreaking, I'm sure, for the person that is battling and encountering this, um, this beast that they're going through. But they're taking steps. You know, people, as people that understand and live in grace and in covenant of grace, how do we keep our hearts in a good place? When those types of things, I'm not saying just addiction, but hard things in life come our way of people that we care for. How do we not allow judgment and critical thinking to set in? right? Um, I know that that's not how God deals with us. And we are to be examples and representations of Jesus here on earth. So God doesn't deal with us harshly when we mess up, when we go to him and say, Father, I am trying. I, I don't know what to do. This thing, whatever it is, you fill in your blank, right? This thing, it just seems like I can't get rid of it. It just seems like it's got this grip on me and I can't let it go. I don't know how to let it go. I don't know how to beat it. He doesn't say, you worthless trash. He doesn't say that to us. He says, come closer. He says, let me hold you. Let me love you. Let me take this. You know, does, he, does the Father hate the things that keep us from him? Yeah, of course he does. He never hates you. He hates that thing. He hates that whatever it is. He hates it. But are we any less loved because we struggle? Or at times we make very conscious decisions to live contradictory to the Father's heart? No. We're not less loved. We're not less wanted. And the truth is that here in this moment, it doesn't matter like what your week looked like. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. You're never more loved than you are right here, right now. You are so wanted and so valued and so loved because we don't work for it, guys. We don't work for our salvation. We don't work for our grace. We don't have to earn a place in the kingdom. We have a place at the table. We have a place at the table. We don't have to just be better than the next guy. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm walking a little straighter and narrower than my coworker is. We don't compare. It's only grace that is unmerited love and acceptance that we live, in, live under and in. But how do we deal with situations and people? How do we deal even with our own lives, our family? You know, um, if we know we have this understanding of love and grace that we've been gifted, then how do we walk well with those people around us? Like I said, this is a little bit of like a family conversation this morning. I'm just kind of taking you some, through some trains of thoughts that I've had over the subject. How do we walk well with people? Because sometimes we said a little earlier that sometimes we do grace really well and sometimes we really don't. So if we don't do it well all the time, then what do we have to do 
could be better. So people are in different places in their journey. I think it's important to recognize that because I've walked with Jesus for 30 years, but maybe some of you in the room have walked with him for six months or six years or 50 years and you're far surpassing me, but we are all on a different journey, the same journey, going to the same place ultimately, but we're all in different spots and places, you know, and it's easy to help people when we think we know the answer, to point things out that are not right in their lives and to give them the best advice that we possibly can and say, well, if you just do A, B, and C, then this will all take care of itself. But is that keeping in mind that everybody's journey is different, that everybody's at a different place with Jesus? Not necessarily. I remember praying for my kids. They're, the olders are 15 and 18 now. And I remember, you know, junior high is hard. Little kids are hard. They're all hard. But... I remember that, you know, as they're going through different phases and seasons of their life, praying for them, Lord, would you just show them? Would you give them revelation? Would you just kick their butt over here because they're driving me crazy? Will you do something to change the way they're seeing things, right? Even as little kids, you just want the change to come. Whatever it is, my heart in some of those situations, especially junior high, especially high school, was to protect them. I didn't want them to be hurt. I didn't want those situations to be able to come and uh, mess with them or their identity or their self-worth, their value, all those things. And as a mom, you pray those things like, Jesus, please, please do something, right? But then I had to clearly, I clearly remember the Lord speaking to me and reminding me that I too had a process. I too had um, a process of grace that the Father had to take me through in my own life and things that I had to learn, some through amazing deep revelation that the Lord had given me and some through, honestly, some really terrible decisions that I had to make and I had to walk through and the Father had to show me grace and mercy through those moments in my life. And so some were just him purely loving me and some I just, I had to figure it out. And so I say that this morning to say, don't punk somebody else's process. You don't know where they are. Leave space and leave grace and a hug at the end of everything we do because we just don't know. And the Lord is, you know, Fred said it this morning um, in the prayer room, he doesn't waste anything. The Father doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste our hard moments. He doesn't waste our, um, the things that we struggle with. He will use it all for his glory if we will allow him to. And as the body of Christ, we do our best to walk well with people in the church, the workplace, community, um, how? What are a few tools that we can do? How do we really bear, bear one another's burdens? Like the scripture tells us to love like Jesus and keep in mind that love also covers a multitude of sins in people's lives because all these things are important to remember. Um, I do believe, and if you know me well, then you've probably heard me say this, I do a thousand percent believe it is a believer's place to have a hard conversation. Um, I often think, how much do I, I say I love a person a friend, a family member, whatever. And, but I, I say I do. But then when I know something is happening or there's a situation or whatever and I have a relationship with this person, how much do I hate them to not have the hard conversation? I can say I love you, but if I don't, the rubber doesn't meet the road in those moments. What good is that? It's, it's not good. It's not good. I have to love somebody enough. We have to love somebody enough, people enough to say hard things sometimes. And that's okay. I believe that that is 
the Father's heart that we walk well together. That's part of walking well. That's part of discipleship. That is part of, part of mentorship. It's part of being the family that we're called to be. Um, there, is, there is a, I call it the 10 to 1 rule. Have you ever heard of it? Basically, it's, it's simple and it's like a deposit situation like you would have at the bank. You know, if I go to my bank and I deposit $100, then I can take $10 out without issue, right? I still have plenty to cover it. But if I only put in $10 and I try to take out $100, i am overdrawn by quite a bit, right? So if I am in a situation um, with a person and something is happening and I'm like, feel like, oh, I need to say something, um, I need to help or whatever, and I've not done my due diligence to making the deposits into that person's life over and over and over again, so that when I pull back a hard conversation, pull something out, I'm not leaving a deficit that is going to be detrimental to that relationship. So if your conversation is not coming from a place that is bathed in prayer, love and relationship, I'm going to say this, you're not ready to have it. Don't have it yet. Grace should always be redemptive, and it should always move in the direction of redemption, move people to the direction of redemption. And a tough conversation should always be pointing people back to Jesus. This is never about my opinion and my agenda. This is about his love and his word and who he says that person is. So prayer, we pray for the Holy Spirit to tell you what to say in those moments, to soften your heart. Sometimes we go at it with our own agendas, with our own feelings, with our own frustrations, and it is projected. And that's not correct. So pray that through. Love. The Bible says to love one another deeply. And if you love deeply, then my heart for you, uh, my heart is for you, and I'm not acting out of fear, and I'm not acting out of anger, because we only actually have two human emotions, and they are love and fear. And the Bible says that perfect love, which is Jesus, cast out all fear. So we should not be going into a tough conversation anything but loving. And we, we take that thing that we know we're going to deal with and we leave it at the feet of Jesus and we allow love to resonate through that conversation. Relationship, and this one's simple, if you haven't put in the time and made the deposits, not yet. Just stop for a moment. Chances are your true heart of grace just won't be shown. Even if you, that's really what you want, those three elements, those three things are so super important to being able to connect with somebody on the level that you feel like you need to. Because it's important for us to not just say we live in grace, but to actually live in it. Those are two very different things. This doesn't mean that we make excuses for people either. I'm not going to tolerate something in the name of grace because that's not correct either. There's a balance that we have to carry. You know, our job is to love and love well until we know that we put in the hard work and the Holy Spirit says, hey, now's the time. Now sit down. Now go to coffee. Now have that conversation. I believe that sometimes, too often, we jump the gun out of, oh my gosh, if I don't have this conversation now, what if, if you know, the next few days come and another mistake is made? What am I going to do? You know what? That's not on us. We are to follow the voice and the prompting of the Spirit. Benny Perez is a, a pastor. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a, uh, he was a youth minister actually down in Florida for years and years. Um, when I was a student, he was a youth pastor. So he's you know, a little bit older now. He's a lead pastor at a church, a pretty large church in Florida. And I listened to a podcast um, 
by him a couple months ago. And people were asking him the question, they're talking about leadership, but talking about retention. How do you keep people? How do you deal with so many people and do it so well? And he said something really interesting in that interview. And it really stuck with me. And he said, you know, I've learned over the years that when I go into a situation, whether it be with, um, uh, whether it's a leader in the church, just a person in the congregation, a friend, family member, what have you, if I go into that conversation and I have the point of view of a sibling, it's very different than if I go into that conversation or that moment with the point of view of a parent. He said, I try to go in always as a parent because if I go in as a sibling, there's more of a go get them attitude. The mentality of like, oh, why are you doing this? And you need to straighten up. And I'm going to tell on you. And dad's not going to be happy and all these things. But if I go in with the heart of a dad, and I say this to all of us, heart of a mom, and I look at somebody and I say, you're better than this. God has called you to great things. Your identity is not stuck in this thing. We're going to walk together. You have my number, call me. It's so different than if we look at it like, I mean, I have a brother. I used to put him in furniture and leave him there. That's what siblings do. Parents look for the kid in the furniture because they care. <laughs> That's a true story. Um, but does that make sense? If you're a parent in the room, I think that makes sense. If you have siblings, that makes sense, right? Just have such a different way that you deal with somebody when you look at them through the eye of an equal or a sibling, or if you look at them like, man, I get to be the father or mother of the faith right now. I get to be the person that loves and says, man, I'm calling you higher. Your life is, has so much more value than the way you're living right now, than what you're doing. There's so much more to you. This is what the scripture says of who you are. There's such a huge, huge difference in that. Like I said, since I heard that story, I've just like tried to keep that in the forefront of my mind because I believe it's so important. You know, there are going to be times when things are frustrating. Uh, there are going to be times when you have people in your life that know better and they just don't choose to do better. And that's hard. That's really difficult because you just want to shake somebody back to their reality and the reality that they know and their identity that they know you know, and I've walked with people that have, like I said, I've been in the church a long time. I've walked with people that have broken my heart. You still have to get up the next day and love them. You still have to ask the Father, if I'm not doing this well, would you buffer all those things out of my heart so that I can see that person the way that I, you see them? Because they're yours. And see, we may not be responsible for one another, but I'm responsible to you. You know, I'm not responsible for the choices that people make. You're not responsible for the choices that people make. But we do have a responsibility to one another, to bear one another's burdens and to be present. Um, I heard another story. Who has anybody ever read anything by Max Lucado? He's an author. It's been around forever and a day. Um, when I was in high school, actually, I read a book by him called In the Grip of Grace that changed my life forever. And so if you haven't read it, it's an old book, but it is so good. Um, and the whole precedence there is that God loves you the way that you are, but, he, but too much to leave you there, right? He, he loves us just as he created you, but he loves you too much to leave you in that same place. And so in this book, um, he actually has a story of uh, four brothers. And 
it's a pretty cool story. I'm going to take a few minutes to read it to you. But this one pertains more to the way that we actually see God. We talked through this message about how do we walk well with people, with one another? What does that look like? What are some practical tools that we can take with us this morning? But this one is more about me and Jesus, you and Jesus, the way that we see him and the way that he sees us. So, you know, some of us try to earn our love through to the Father. We compare ourselves. Uh, again, we're not as bad as the next guy, so we must be doing a little better, right? So I'm going to go ahead and read this and just take a few minutes. This is what it says. And this is based out of uh, the book of Romans that he did this parable. It says, Once there were five sons who lived in a mountain castle with their father. The eldest was an obedient son, but his four younger brothers were rebellious, and their father had warned them each of the river, but they had not listened, and he begged them to stay clear of the banks, lest they be swept downstream, but the river's lure was too strong. Each day, the four rebellious brothers ventured closer and closer until one son dared to reach in and feel the waters. Hold my hand so I won't fall in, he said to his brothers, and they did. But when he touched the water, the current yanked him and the other three into the rapids and rolled them down the river. Over rocks they bounced, through the channels they roared, on the swells they rode, their cries for help lost in the rage of the river. Though they fought to gain their balance, they were powerless against the strength of the current. And after hours of struggle, they surrendered to the pull of the waters, finally dumped them on the bank of a strange land, in a distant country and in a barren place. Savage people dwelt in the land. It was not safe like their home. Cold winds chilled the land, and it was not warm like their home. Rugged mountains marked the land, and it was not inviting like their home. And though they did not know where they were, one fact was for sure. They were not intended for this place. For a long time, the four young sons lay on the bank, stunned at their fall and not knowing where to turn. And after some time, they gathered their courage and re-entered the waters, hoping to walk upstream, but the current was still too strong. And they attempted to walk along the river's edge, but the train was too steep. They considered climbing the mountains, but the, water were too, uh, the rocks were too high. Besides, they didn't know the way anyway. Finally, they built a fire and sat down. We shouldn't have disobeyed our father, they admitted. We are a long way from home. With the passage of time, the sons learned to survive the strange land. They found nuts for food and killed animals for skins. They determined not to forget their homeland, nor abandon hopes of returning. And each day they set about the task of finding food, building a shelter. Every evening they built a fire and told the stories of their father and brother. All four sons longed to see them again. Then one night... One brother failed to come to the fire. The others found him the next morning in the valley with the savages, and he was building a hut of grass and mud. I've grown tired of our task, he told them. What good does it do to remember? Besides, this land isn't so bad. I will build a great house and just settle here. But it isn't home, they objected. No, but it is if you don't think of the real one. But what of father? What of him? He isn't here. He isn't near. Am I to spend forever awaiting his arrival? I'm making new friends. I'm making new ways. If he comes, he comes. But if not, I'm not holding my breath for him. And so the other three left their hut-building brother and walked away. And they continued to meet around the fire, speaking of home and dreaming of their return. 
Some days later, a second brother failed to appear at the campfire, and the next morning his siblings found him on a hillside staring at the hut of his brother. How disgusting, he told them as they approached. Our brother is an utter failure, an insult to our family name. Can you imagine a more despicable deed? Building a hut and forgetting our father. What's he... What he's doing is wrong, agreed the youngest, but we, he, what he did was wrong as well. We, we disobeyed. We touched the river. We ignored our father's warnings. Well, we may have made a mistake or two, but compared to the sleaze in the hut, we are saints. Father will dismiss us and punish him. Come, urged his two brothers, return to the fire with us. No, I think I'll keep an eye on our brother. Someone needs to keep a record of the wrongs he's doing to show father. And so the two returned, leaving one brother building and the other judging. The remaining two sons stayed near the fire, encouraging each other and speaking of home. Then one morning, the youngest son awoke to find that he was alone. He searched for his brother and found him near the river, stacking rocks. It's no use. The rock stacking brother explained as he worked, father won't come for me. I must go to him. I've offended him. I've insulted him. I have failed him. There's only one option. I will build a path back up the river and walk into our father's presence. Rock upon rock, I will stack until I have enough rocks to travel upstream to the castle. And when he sees how hard I have worked and how diligent I have been, he will have no choice but to open the door and let me back into his house. The last brother did not know what to say. He returned to sit by the fire all alone. One morning, he heard a familiar voice behind him. Father has sent me to bring you home. The youngest lifted his eyes to see the face of his oldest brother. You've come for us, he said. For a long time, the two embraced. Your brothers, the eldest asked. One has made a home here, one is watching him, and the third is building a path home. And so the firstborn set out to find his siblings, and he went first to the thatched hut in the valley. Go away, stranger, screamed the brother through the window. You're not welcome here. I've come to take you home, said the oldest brother. You have not. You've come to take my mansion. This is no mansion, the firstborn countered. This is a hut. It is a mansion, the finest in the lowlands. I built it with my own hands. Now go away. You cannot have my mansion. But don't you remember the house of your father? I have no father, he responded. You were born in a castle in a distant land where the air is warm and the fruit is plentiful. You disobeyed the father and you ended up in this strange land. I've come to take you home. The brother peered through the window at firstborn as, as if recognizing a face he remembered from a dream. But he paused with, for a brief and suddenly the savages in the house filled the window as well. Go away, intruder, they demanded. This is not your home. You're right, responded the firstborn son, but neither is it his. The eyes of the two brothers met again. Once more, the hut building brother felt a tug at his heart, but the savages had won his trust. He just wants your mansion, they cried, send him away. And so he did. Firstborn sought the next brother. He didn't have to walk far on the hillside near the hut. Within eyesight of the savages sat the fault-finding son. When the firstborn uh, approached, he shouted, 
How good that you are here to behold the sin of our brother. Are you aware that he has turned his back on the castle? Are you aware that he never speaks of home? I knew you would come. I've kept careful account of his deeds. Punish him. I will applaud your anger. He deserves it. Deal with the sins of your brother. And the firstborn spoke softly. He said, we need to deal with your sins first. My sins? Yes, you disobeyed, Father. The sun smirked and slept in the air, at the air. My sins are nothing. There is the sinner. He claimed, pointing to the hut and the savages who stayed there. I'd rather you tell me about yourself, said firstborn brother. Don't worry about me. Let me show you who needs help, he said, running towards the hut. Come, we'll peek in the windows. windows. He never sees me. Let's go together. The son was at the hut before he noticed the firstborn hadn't followed him. Next, the eldest son walked over to the river. There he found the last brother, knee-deep in water, just stacking rocks. Father has sent me to take you home. The brother never looked up. I can't talk now. I must work. Father knows you have fallen, but he will forgive you. He may, the brother interrupted, struggling to keep his balance against the current. But I have to get to the castle. I must build a pathway up the river. First, I will show him that I am worthy. Then I will ask for his mercy. He has already given his mercy. I will carry you up the river. You will never be able to build a pathway. The river is too long. The task is too great for your hands. Father sent me to carry you home. I am stronger. For the first time, the rock-stacking brother looked up. How dare you speak with such irreverence? My father will not simply forgive. I've sinned. I've sinned greatly, and he told us to avoid the river, and we disobeyed. I am a great sinner. I need much work. No, my brother, you don't need much work. You need much grace. The distance between you and the father, father's house is too great. You haven't enough strength nor the stones to build the road. This is why our father sent me. He wants to carry you home. Are you saying I can't do it? Are you saying I'm not strong enough? Look at my work. Look at my rocks. Already I have seven steps. But you have five million to go, said the brother. The younger brother looked at Forceborn with anger. I know who you are. You are the voice of evil. You're trying to seduce me from my holy work. Get behind me, you serpent. He hurled at Firstborn the rock which he was about to place in the river. Heretic, screamed the path builder. Leave this land. You can't stop me. I will build this walkway to stand before my father and he will have to forgive me. I will win his favor. I will earn his mercy. The Firstborn shook his head. Favor won is no favor and mercy earned is no mercy. I implore you, let me take you home. The response was another rock, so the firstborn turned and left. The youngest brother was waiting near the fire when the firstborn returned. The others didn't come, he said. No, one chose to indulge, the other to judge, and the third to work. None of them chose our father. So will they remain here, he asked. The eldest brother nodded slowly, for now. And we will return to father, asked the brother. Yes. Will he forgive me? Would he have sent me if he wouldn't? And so the younger brother climbed on the back of the firstborn and began the journey home. And this morning, as we've talked about grace, and it's, it's a big topic, which lens do you see the Father through? We can walk with people. We can do our best to love people. But when it really comes down to it at your core, how do you look at the grace that's been given to you from the Father? 
His grace is sufficient and is actually perfect when we admit that we're weak. When we allow him to be the one who he's supposed to be instead of trying so, diff, you know, so hardly on our own. You know, I learned many, many years ago that you can always go home. When I moved here in, oh gosh, 20 years ago, I knew I, knew I could always go home if something didn't work out. This morning we can stack rocks, we can point fingers, we can argue the point of who God says we are and what he wants to give to us. But the truth is he sent his son to carry us home. So no matter where we are this morning, allow him to take you home. Whether you just need an extra hug this morning from the father or you really have some tough decisions to make, allow him to carry you home. So I'm going to ask, Johan, would you just come and play for us for a minute? And I'm just going to pray. And if you do need prayer for anything this morning, the altars are open. Please feel free to come up. We'll pray for you. You can just pick a quiet spot between you and the Lord this morning. And if you need to go, you are dismissed. But I just want to give an opportunity for ministry if there's anybody here that would like to uh, receive prayer. So... Jesus, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you love us so much and that you won't leave us to our own disposals. God, we thank you that we don't have to earn your favor, that we don't have to earn your love, but God, you give it so freely and so well to us. God, I pray that as your children this morning, we would do grace better. We would, we would really release your heart better in this area, God, that we would walk with people well. Father, that we would care enough to invest enough to have hard conversations. And Father, that we would see people through your lens this morning. Father, that your goodness would be shown through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.